Four weeks ago, we uh, started a journey uh, asking the question, what, what is freedom? And who gets to define it? And how do you know when you have freedom? And how do you know when you, when you lose it? These are all big existential questions. It doesn't matter if you're in this room, if you're an atheist or a Christian. It doesn't matter if you're religious at all or non-religious. Everybody has to ask the question, what's the purpose of life? Like, like, like truly, right? Like, what's the purpose of life? And how about, how am I about, uh, how am I going about finding meaning in that purpose? Now, not everybody in this life answers that question because it, it really is terrifying. It takes you to the edge of ultimate reality, and you really have to look at yourself uh, in, in, in your soul, right? And so Paul pins this letter to the, uh, the Christians in Galatia, which is modern Turkey. Uh, it was Galatia in the first century, and he talks about, let me, let me tell you what freedom actually is. Now, here's what I know <laughs> about the average American in freedom. This right here, church, is the last place they're going to go to find freedom. Religion is the last place people think that someone can go and actually find freedom. Because I've had coffee with you. I've had dinner and lunch with you. I've hung out with you. You, You've told me time and time again that I had this uh, church experience. It was very, you know, my mom made me go. My dad made me go. But it was sit up, stand down, sit up, stand down. Remember that, you know, shut up and get in line. Just, Just do it because you're supposed to. But that's not the religion that Paul is talking about that gives us life. But it is a religion that's prevalent in this area. It's prevalent in the community that I grew up in Cincinnati. And so if that, if the few speak for the whole, right, and they're getting the message out there that religion is this, beat, 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 beat you down, it was almost like a Run DMC song. That was pretty cool. Yeah, you're what? Yeah, you know, you got that for free, even if you didn't give offering. You're welcome. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm a pastor, not a uh, comedian. Move on, Ben. Uh, But people don't come to church to find freedom, right? Because there's empty seats in this room, and there's 30,000 people that live in our community. And so until we start running six, seven services or multi-site or you don't want to see my mug on a big screen or planning other churches, I would say right now the community of Salem would say freedom is waking up to my kids on my day off and making breakfast for them. It's not in a church. But is it? Like, like, could it be? And to this reason, Paul writes the book of Galatians. And in week one, we, 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 we talked about how Paul defined freedom, right? He says that freedom is a mutually exclusive love relationship. In other words, Jesus, who claimed to be God, gave up heaven, lived a perfect life uh, on earth, died the death that we should have died, rose again three days later, gave up some of his rights. He didn't have to leave heaven. He didn't have to be like one of us. He didn't have to like hang out with Peter and Peter would drive him nuts. He didn't have to do that. But the hopes of the gospel and discipleship is that we would give up some of our freedoms, that we'd be humbled, that if there is a God, that that God would come to earth and live amongst us. And that's where freedom is. It's not, freedom is not in more choices or fewer restrictions. It's, it's finding liberating restrictions. And the most liberating restriction is when a man and a woman submit themselves to one another in what we call marriage. Like, you can be who you are in marriage, and you can mess up and hopefully your spouse will still love you. Like that's, it's, it's, a, it's a poetic grunt, really. It doesn't really begin to describe the, the discipleship process, but it's a, it, it's, a, it's a glimpse into what it looks like when two people 
are willing not to be, um, you know, like the head honcho, but are willing to submit to one another. Like, God is willing to submit his life that we might, it's crazy. Uh, number two, in our just, freedom is found in our justification, not in our condemnation. So week two, we said, condemnation says, I'm going to tell you how to live, right? I'm going to be the guy with the big glasses and the beer belly and the Walmart shirt with no friends that says, you're going to go to hell because you live this way, right? You've seen these people. If not, you have YouTube. You've seen these people yelling at people, you're going to go to hell because X, Y, and Z, right? As if they created hell, as if they're God, as, as if they have ultimate decision rights for that, right? But people that condemn other people say, the thing I care about you the most is telling you how to live. But Paul says, justification says, the thing that God t- cares about the most is he's going to tell you how and why <laughs> you are loved. And we said justification is essentially being charged with all of your, your crime, right? All of your sins. And, and you stand before the judge, the heavenly father, and the judge says, how do you plead, right? And you're like, man, that stack of evidence through my middle school years and college years, that's pretty high. And you, I can't afford an attorney that will defend me to get me out of this. I can't even afford a plea deal. I'm, I'm guilty, Your Honor. And, and the judge says, you are right. You, you are guilty. And we're just going to move right into the sentencing phase. And you're like, well, I wasn't expecting that. And the judge says, because of your crimes and your sins, you will serve uh, a life without the possibility of parole. And, and, and if you've seen people that thought they were innocent, right, in courtrooms, they completely collapse. And, and the judge leans over into the mic one more time, and he says, you are guilty of your sin, because God's not a chump. Like, he's not going to like, oh, you can just kind of do whatever you want. Let's hold hands and hug each other. No, no, God is a God of justice. But then he leans in and shows us that he's a God of mercy and grace. And he says, my son has already served your penalty on your behalf. Your debt has been paid. You're free to go. And that's where freedom comes from, in our justification, not in our condemnation. Last week, Brian Yakey, our worship minister, talked about freedom coming from not blending in for our relationships. He uses beautiful, I was like, man, that's a really good one. I wish I could have stolen that from you. He watches the show, The Walking Dead. I gave up on it because they're still walking around, and they're still zombies. Uh, but there's this, uh, there's this new character called, like, the Whisperer or something. And basically, people that are living have figured out how to blend in walks amongst the dead so they're not, like, eaten or attacked, and they can move from town to town, which Jesus is like, welcome to my, my ministry. I'm dealing with people that think they're alive, but they're dead. Like, Jesus never used the phrase, you're a Christian or not, because that doesn't happen until, like, Acts 9. Jesus says, you're either alive or you're dead. And the Pharisees, the religious people, can't figure out for the life of them why they're dead, because they're so good at being religious. They're so good at keeping rules. Surely, keeping rules will give you life. Surely, reading the Bible and going to church, you know, all 52 weeks, that, surely that, that saves you, doesn't it? Or at least keeps you saved? Well, today we're going to talk about, friends, that freedom comes from helping other people grow. And the big idea is this. It's pretty simple. Freed people grow people. Freed people grow people, right? So, so we've been talking about this group called Judaizers who say, look, it's okay if you become a Christian. That's great. Yay, nine people got baptized. But here's what you really need to do. You have to obey all of the Old Testament laws. And you're like, that's a drag. I can't even get my own life together, let, let alone, you know, please some other God that, you know, is somewhere out there. There's no way I'm going to follow all those rules. And it's to this that Paul says, you don't grow a church. <laughs> you, don't, you don't grow a church by manipulating people. 
by judging people, by saying, hmm, this family hasn't been to church in seven months. They're not giving 10%. They've never been in a life group, and yet they have this prayer request. You know, their, their son just got diagnosed with cancer. Well, we'll call them eventually. Like, that's, you don't grow a church like that. And, and you, can't, you can't think about all the illustrations we use, right, with, with Brian and the zombie deal and, and the ladder and the paddle and the prayer shawl. There are so many ways that religious people like to lord their religiosity. I just made that up. You're welcome over people to kind of keep them in line. But is church meant to keep you in line? To follow this, like, strict code where everyone's in khakis and a button-up? You can't control people. Jesus is not here to control you or manipulate you. But he does invite you to follow him. And freed people grow people. They don't judge people. They don't hit them over the head with a paddle. They, they, don't, they don't say, here's a ladder. You've got to do all these religious things, and eventually you'll climb the different rungs of the ladder, and you'll die and, and make it to heaven based on your performance. Which, if that was true, I'd be like, what's the point of Jesus, man? Like, he's hanging on a cross, suffering Roman persecution. He got the short end of the stick. He didn't even have to do that, right? This is so prevalent in our, in our churches and even in our culture, which is why your friends aren't here. Because they think they have to be perfect, or they think they're going to have to follow some sort of religious code. And, th- and that's what exactly what the church in Galatia is up against. And Paul says, wait a minute, no, 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 no. If you follow Jesus, you're free. And freed people grow people, because freed people are excited to share the story that they've come to know to be true and believe. Uh, this is, I don't want to preach today. This is not an easy sermon to preach. Uh, Paul is is going to drop the hammer, but as pastors, sometimes we have to do that, and so I'm going to, you know, pray for me if you pray, but I'm going to do my best to um, uh, emulate the, the tone of the text. It's not, it's not fun. In Galatians 4, 8 through 11, Paul says, formerly, when you did not know God, so he's talking about the Christians in this church, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather you are known by God, how is it that you're turning your back to those weak and miserable forces? Like Paul is saying, religion is a weak and miserable force. Hello, tell that to a church that you grew up, that, that, that is beating people over the head. And you would think at, at first glance, well, maybe he's talking about sin, like the bad stuff. Well, religion is equally a sin if you're trusting in your own religiousness to get you to heaven. But up until I read Galatians, I never heard it worded that way, that religion and being a good moral boy or girl is actually a weak and a miserable way to live. We'll talk about that more later. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years when you don't have to. And then here, here's the here's the the busted part about Paul here. I fear for you that I somehow wasted my efforts on you. So Paul is an entrepreneur. He's a church planner, plants uh, churches all throughout Europe, and says, look, we, we planted this church together. We had, you know, leadership meetings. We had barbecues together. Kids were running around. We'd laugh together. And, and what have you done? You, you've traded in this beautiful, freeing relationship with Jesus to just being rule followers, and you start judging people like, you know, they're, you know, they obey eight of the ten commandments, so they can only serve at the church at this level. What are, what are you, what are you doing? Freed people grow people, because free people know that enslaved people are prideful people, and 
<clears throat> pride shows itself through religion in two different ways. You, someone who is religious will experience pride, and it will either lead them to despair, which says, I'm terrible, I'm worthless, I'm unlovable, I'm not good enough for God. You know, if I walk into, you know, that passive-aggressive statement people tell me all the time, if I go to your church, the whole thing's going to implode, you know? Oh, I'm not coming, right? Well, that, that's a, that's a, um, that's a uh, Im- immature, frightening way that they view the Lord. But people that have been beaten down on religion think if I go to a church, I'm so terrible and worthless, you know, they're not going to let me back in or the whole thing's going to blow up. Uh, Pride leads to despair, but pride also leads to arrogance. People who think and say, I'm the man, I'm the woman, you can always count on me, I don't need to reset, relax, or recover. That's just an interesting way to look at pride. Like, on one side of the coin, there are arrogant people, right? And we're like, man, they're very prideful people. And, and we see that, we get that. But the other side of the coin, for people that are more melancholy and introverted, pride also shows itself in despair. I'm, t- I'm terrible, I'm worthless, nobody loves me. And this is the tension that this church was, was facing, that religion was beating them down so hard, there's really only two responses. Man, I have to keep these rules... Uh, otherwise I'll be worthless, or I'm going to be so good and focused at being religious that uh, I'm going to crush and obey all of these rules that God's going to give me a standing ovation when I stand before him, however that works, I've not died yet, uh, in heaven. You know, John Calvin once said that the human heart is an idol factory, and I think what he means by that is our heart, whether you're religious or not this morning, hopefully you're not, hopefully you're a Jesus follower, uh, whether or not you're a Jesus follower or not, that our heart always wants to attach itself to something, right? Even if you are, are an atheist and you don't believe in a God, there's still that sense that there are things that give you meaning and purpose, and, and they should, right? God, God wants everybody to have meaning and purpose, but if, if this statement is true, that our hearts are idol factories, what it means is we, our hearts have to attach ourselves to something to live, right? Like we all have to have, I think, in my opinion, coffee to be civil with each other. Our hearts have to attach to something, and it will if we don't do it. And, and, and I think oftentimes what happens in our lives is that it just gets attached to the mundane like schedule that we keep. And we look back and we're like, man, it's already a new year. What did I, what did I accomplish? What did I what did I actually, like, what did I actually do? And oftentimes we, we think in terms of, well, I'm not good enough. I should have done more, should have had a better diet, made more friends, attended church more, whatever. Or we like, man, I really crushed it. God's going to love me. I'm so religious. You know, Jesus talks about this tension in Matthew uh, 11, verse 28 through 30. I want to read the message uh, translation, which if you're new to the Bible, the message is a great like, um, sort of like devotional reading. It's, it's written by a pastor by the name of Eugene Peterson, or it's translated. He didn't write the Bible. That'd be not, it's not worth saying here. But in Matthew eleven twenty eight, in the message, uh, he records Jesus as saying, or paraphrases Jesus saying, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Like that's why your friends aren't here. Because, I mean, if, can we have an honest conversation? You're like, sure, you're the one talking. Like, that's, they don't think church is going to ultimately give them a sense of peace and free. Can we just be honest? That, that's why your friends aren't here. And that's why there's a spiritual warfare in our, in our community today. <coughs> Jesus says, come to me, get away with me, 
and you, listen to this promise, you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Like, I just, man, I'm guilty of this too. Like, I just like, I know like a lot of Christians that know the Bible, and, and that's great. We need to know the scriptures for sure. We need to have a prayer life, all, all that stuff. But sometimes I think we lean into that in terms of like, that's our saving grace, right? Like, God's gonna love us based on how we perform, and there's nothing lovable about us except for that when God looks at us, he sees his son. And because his son lived a perfect life on our behalf, that's why the Father loves us. That's why we can be bad in the presence of love. That's why we can mess up and have do-overs, right? And Jesus asked this question, are you burned out on religion? Come get away with me. Like, I just wonder, like, I don't know, like, maybe this is your first Sunday you've been to church here for, you know, when we started 18 years ago. Like, you might know a lot about the Bible, like, and and I'm preaching to myself here, all right? So I'm going to get in line if you think this is a guilt trip. I'm nailing myself, right? Like, you've been to church, like, your whole life, maybe, but, like, do you know how to rest? Do you know how to discern the Holy Spirit? Like, these are things that religion will never teach you. This is, these are things that um, only happen in a relationship. Like, in my marriage, I can tell you objective, factual things about my wife that you can look at her and go, yeah, that's true. But there's a, there's a way that my wife moves. There's a way that our marriage works that I don't get unless I enter into that space. Does that make sense? You see, when Jesus is talking about this, oh man, I'm gonna struggle here because I'm not a farmer. He's talking about a farming illustration, right? So when he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, there's a, you know, for those of you who are farmers, I apologize for butchering this. There's a, you know, a yoke, a piece of wood that would go on the back of the necks of the oxen. There's a strong ox and a weaker ox, one that took longer strides and one that took shorter strides. And then, and then I, I don't know, there's like a rope that would tie their neck. And then the farmer, they would go out to till the land. The farmer, you know, would throw the seed or work the land. That's where, when a farmer throws the seed or casts the seed, that's where we get the word broadcast and radio. You're, you're kind of casting out an idea to the masses. And so what a yoke was in the first century it wasn't just a farming term. <clears throat> it was a, it was a, a, someone's yoke was their teaching, right? It was their perspective of how they viewed the text, <clears throat> how they viewed life. And, and you've probably been in a life group, Bible study, whatever, <clears throat> and you've asked a person or it's been asked of you, hey, what does this text mean to you? How do you see this scripture? In other words, which they wouldn't say this, so that'd be kind of cool and a little weird. Like, what's your yoke? Like, what's your perspective of this? And Jesus says, my, my teaching, my, my, my yoke is different than the Pharisees. It's different than the Judaizers. It's different from the religious leaders that you're used to. My, my yoke <clears throat> that goes on the back of your neck is, is not heavy. It, it's actually light. So you have, to, you have to come to terms with, if you're willing to be honest with yourself, you have to come to terms with the fact that um, everybody has a perspective of life. Everybody has a way that they view their life, they view their family, their spouse, God, whatever, it doesn't matter, everything. It's why you vote the way that you vote. It's the, why, it's the way that you carry yourself the way that you do. It's the way that you know, you're, led, you're prone to despair or you're prone to, to arrogance. We all have a yoke, right? We all have a yoke that we follow, a teaching and understanding. And based on the, the yoke that's on the back of our necks is the burden that we bury, Bear, uh, bear, and so, but Jesus says, "Well, wait a minute. My 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 teaching, the way I view script, scripture, it, it's not heavy, and the burden that you're going to carry, it, it's light. 
It's not going to crush you. I mean, you think about this, right? Like what the Judaizers were asking us, the, the weight of religion, all 613 commandments in the Torah, and that's just the first five books of, uh, of the Old Testament. Like, all, I don't know how much a commandment weighs on you. Maybe if you're like prone to guilt trips or you have high anxiety, maybe when people say, do this, it might, you know, but, but how much does a, a rule weigh to you in your heart? Does that make sense? Like, how, whatever weight measurement you want to give, all 613 commandments are on the back of your neck, man. And that's another reason why people don't come to church. Because their necks are about to snap. And this is the last place. <clears throat> this is the last place they think someone is going to, when they meet us, they're going to say, hey, here's my friend, John. I only picked on John Durant because he's really strong. I'll go on the other side. Let's, let's take this wood off. This is ridiculous. Chuck this, right? Give this to some other religious person that's condemning people. We shouldn't do that. We should want good for them too. And let, let, let's, let me introduce you to the yoke that Jesus has, which is really light. And the burden of following Jesus is light as well. It's not easy, right? It's not easy. Like, for example, one of my first sermon series that I did here was called Enemies of the Heart. And we talked about anger and forgiveness is the antidote to anger. And so Peter's like, Peter asks a very religious question. How many times do I need to forgive somebody so the next time I can blow them off, right? And Jesus is like, well, wait a minute. So that's a, that, that's a yoke, that's a perspective. And then he's like, how many times do I need to forgive someone so I can get rid of this burden? And Jesus, wait a minute. Do you want to ask how many times you need to forgive someone so the next time you can blow them off, or do you want to learn how to be a forgiving person? You see, you understand the difference? Religion will say, here's how many things you have to do. Jesus is like, do you want to learn how to be a forgiving person? That burden to Jesus that, that, that we would bear, he says it's light. Meaning after we learn how to become a forgiving person, we learn how to, you know, X, Y, and Z. That's just one example. Following Jesus and being under his teaching and his yoke, we tend to live freer. We tend to, like, I don't know, smile <laughs> and enjoy life. And people find us to be somewhat pleasant to be around. And when we share our faith, people go, okay, I get that. Not, not only do I cognitively believe that you think what you're saying is the truth, I actually see it's actually transformed your life. See, here's, here's what free people know. Free people want to grow people because they know that freedom is found between the burden and the yoke. See, everybody has, a, everybody has a yoke. Everybody has, a, I don't care if you're in middle school or you're 89 in this room. Everybody has a perspective that they're basing their life on. They're banking it, right? And then from that teaching, will weigh on their neck and produce a certain burden in them. Will they walk heavy through this life or they will walk lightly through this life? And the reason why people need to be developed is because they need to explore, right, what that what that yoke is, it has their neck about to snap, and what that burden in their spirit actually is and why it's weighing them down. There's tension between the teachings we ascribe to, and make no mistake about it, just because you're sitting here, just because I'm standing here, doesn't mean we, we, we ultimately go like, oh yeah, I follow Jesus' teachings, right? Because we stay up at night at 2 a.m. We've got big existential questions, but free people understand that there's, a, there's something going on between how someone views life and the burden that they're carrying. And Jesus says, well, let me, let me throw my ring in the hat. Here's my perspective. What I have to give you is light. 
and my burden is, is my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you walk with me, which, which I find interesting, not only is his teaching light, but you have Jesus' like, I'll, I'll be the other ox. <laughs> I'll be the strong ox. I'll take the longer steps, and you be the weaker ox, and you just worry about small steps, and we'll work together, right? So in the first century, we'll plow this field together. In 2019, we'll do life together. If you're willing to lock arms with me or to lock necks with me, I'll, I am willing to walk through this life with you. Freed people grow people because they know that there's a tension between burden and the yoke, and free people help others grow through transparency. Now, we just kicked off our life groups ministry this spring, and uh, it had a great, great response. Looking forward to kicking it off again in the fall uh, once uh, school starts back up again. But one of the values that we have in our life group ministry is this, that transparency and trust must be developed over time, right? That kind of makes sense. That if you are in a life group or in a circle with anybody and years go by and you don't know them, like, what are you doing? Like, what's the purpose of that group? Paul says it this way in Galatians 4, 12. He says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even through my illness was a tr- even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God or as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? You liked me back in the early days of us launching this thing. And now I'm writing a really hard letter, and now you want to just you, you want to nail me. Where's your blessing of me now? I, I, I can testify that if, that if you could have done so, you probably would have torn out my eyes and given them to me. Then he says, I, I, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Right? Like, it's one thing to hide behind our Bible studies. It's one thing when our life group leaders say, let me, I love you, right? Now I need to say a hard thing to you. I've been saying this throughout the series, and I still believe it. Religion's the safest place to hide from God. <laughs> it's the safest place to hide from God because it's so culturally acceptable, right? Just to be nice and neat and proper. Hey, how you doing? Good. All right, I got to deal with these people for 40. Hey, 45 more minutes, right? But Paul's like, that's not how you grow people. You don't grow people through beating them over the head with a religion. You grow them through your story of what Jesus is up to in your life and being willing to share your story with others. I, uh, before I came here, I was a campus pastor at a church in the middle of Illinois, and I was over the, the, the uh, youngest campus, or newest campus. It was about six months old, uh, about 40 people showing up for weekend services. Uh, we were just getting started. We had one life group. Uh, meeting. So I'm like, I'm going to go talk to that life group. Like, I'm going to get to know about 15 people. I think we're in that group, which is more like a Bible study than a life group. Uh, and it'll be, it'll be great. So I, I went there, and the, the leader, which I was excited about, um, said, hey, Pastor Ben's here, and uh, we're just going to take a moment to, for you guys to introduce yourself to him. I'm like, okay, this is cool. You know, and he goes, uh, I want everyone to share their name, and then everyone give their testimony story. And like, all the men... <laughs> We're like, uh, no, no, I didn't go to Hallmark to buy, a, nope, nope, I'm not sharing my feelings tonight. Three hours later, <laughs> three hours later, yeah, you can't pull that on men, all right, guys and gals, you can't pull that on men, like, hey, the new pastor's here, which means a whole other mess of stuff, right? Uh, go them, tell them your deep, dark sins. Three hours later, 
Uh, people shared their stories, and there was, there was crying, for sure. There was awkwardness, for sure. Because uh, when you're underdeveloped, you don't know how to deal with those um, very sensitive moments, right? <laughs> Even if you've been going to church your whole life, uh, it's your sensitivity to the Spirit and others. And then what really killed me at the end of that, which is like why I identify with Paul here, is that people in that life group, as I was getting ready to gather my stuff and leave three hours later, <laughs> They all went around and said, wow, that was really cool. Like, I never knew that about you. And like, this group had been meeting for two or three years. And they didn't know each other. But I was told their leader was like really intelligent. And he is. He's a great guy. I love him. Retired from Caterpillar, was pursuing a seminary degree, a master's in God, which is kind of funny if you think about it. Great teacher, great Bible teacher, and yet they spent the whole time, quote-unquote, studying the scriptures without allowing the scriptures to study them, and they never, they never once shared their life with each other. That's not what Paul's talking about here, friends. Paul's talking about being a church that's willing to go there with other people, that's willing to share their story with other people and have life group leaders and leadership, be willing to set that tone by going first and sharing that, right? There's nothing worse than a life group leader asking you a question to start the discussion, and you want to share a heavy thing, but they start it out in a funny way. Mainly, it might be because they're insecure, or it might be because like, that's how they want to start it out, and it completely shuts you down. We can't be a church that have life groups that all we do is study the Bible, and we never get to know each other. We never ask, we never ask, we can't be a church that never asks ourselves, like, how is this forming in you? And this is what Paul pleads with the, the Christians at the end of uh, Galatians in chapter 4, because freed people multiply other people. There's this little phrase in Galatians 4, verse uh, 19, he says, I am in childbirth, I'm in the pains of childbirth. Now, he's a dude. That, you know, that would be a medical breakthrough. But as much as he can muster to make the analogy, he's saying growing and developing people is like giving birth to a child. There's a lot of sweat that goes over loving people. There's a lot of pain and tears and crying. This, that, this, what I'm saying does not move you. If this is what I'm saying, if what I'm saying does not move you, that means you've never developed anybody. You may have had Bible studies, but you've never actually allowed people to get to know you and you be known by other people. This is why Paul is saying, if, if, you, keep, if you keep going under the yoke of religion and being worried about being good Christian boys and good Christian girls, Christ will never form himself in you. The way in which he goes about his day, the way in which he views other people, you're going to miss it entirely because the yoke is crushing your neck. No wonder the writer of Psalms constantly tell us, lift your eyes up, lift your head up, lift your eyes up, lift your eyes up. Where does your hope come from? It doesn't come from the burden of religion. It comes from the Lord. And freed people grow people because free people want to multiply other people. Uh, at the beginning of this year, 
We talked about one of our uh, core values in 2019 that we're aiming for, which is leadership development, kind of getting everyone on the same page. So our, at our last leadership huddle, we talked about uh, the book Hero Maker. And if, you don't, if you're on a serving team and you don't have one, I want to encourage you to call Donna or swing by our offices. We have uh, many extra. You can get them on Amazon, but here you'll get them for 10 bucks. Because the book Hero Maker is going to give us the language that's going to shape our volunteer culture. And what they say here is just spot on with what uh, Paul is talking about in the book of Galatians. And I want you to notice the tension between someone that's just a hero and someone that's a hero maker. And there's five aspects to how people grow and develop other people. And I want you to really capture this. This will be on our website. So if you don't have anything to write down, you can, it'll be there for till next Thursday. You know, grow, so freed people grow people, and this is how they do it. They think in terms of multiplication. So a hero that's all about himself or herself leads until they've reached the limit of their own time and energy. So any ministry or any life group that they're leading, once they're burned out, the whole thing dies because they've never developed anybody. But a hero maker dreams big and strategically invests himself in others to multiply impact. So when a leader wants to take a break, the thing can keep going. Secondarily, people that are hero makers think about permission giving. You see, a hero says, I'm going to lead with a tight rein on others, like the Judaizers. But a hero maker says, I'm going to make yes my default answer uh, as I lead other people. Now, that makes a messy church, but it also makes an empowered church. Thirdly, I'm going to think about disciple multiplying. Uh, A hero says, it's all about my personal growth. But a hero maker says, investing in the work of helping other people will multiply other apprentices or other leaders. You get this? And then... Number four, a hero maker thinks about gift activating. How can I empower other people? A hero says, I'm going to make sure every slot is always filled. That's never going to happen in the church. But a hero maker says, I'm going to release leaders to new opportunities as uh, their fits and skills actually grow. And the fifth and final one about helping people grow is hero makers think in terms of kingdom building. They never think in terms of present reality. Like RCC, they think is like the lid is just two services. There's not going to be any global or local impact beyond two services. But a hero maker thinks about kingdom building. You see, a hero says they're going to define success by what you gather and acquire, but a hero maker defines success by what you release and send out. This is what happens when freed people grow people. A movement of God actually, like, it like, actually happens to regular people. Like, this is what gets me out of bed in the morning, that and my alarm clock. Like, this is what I live for, is discipleship and developing other people that average people like you and I can be a part of the movement of God. In just a moment, I don't know how to make this turn, so I'm just going to do it. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion, which is really just a celebration of the fact that somebody thought of you enough to invest in you. Somebody looked at you and whatever sin or brokenness or religiosity that you were living in and thought enough of you to develop and invest in you. So as we take communion now, I want to encourage you to do one of two things. Uh, as you're praying, if you pray during communion, thank God for that person, whoever that was yesterday or so many years ago that actually took time to invest in you. And then secondly, I actually to Actually, if you're a Christian this morning and you've experienced that freedom, begin praying, God, who can I invest in? Who can I grow and who can I develop for your kingdom? God, thanks so much for uh, the sermon. Uh, I I feel like a fire hose of information, but it's just really like a, a passion 
that I think you're inviting us into, I hope you're inviting us into, where we're just really like one honest conversation away from helping someone reach their potential, like someone reaching the need and desire to follow you. And so this morning, we just want to declare right now, we, we, we thank you for that man or that woman or that family or that child or that aunt, uncle, grandparent that invested in us. And right now, we're just going to take a moment to declare, like, God, give me one person. If I can't think of somebody, give me one person in my path that I don't know or kind of loosely know that I can make an investment in their life. And I can be part of your kingdom. And I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to settle for what I can see. I'm going to lead people to what is unseen, to a future reality, where RCC is making a global and local impact through church planning or multiple services or whatever it is. But we're not going to just be here and consume. We're going to produce. We're going to live our lives in freedom and grow people one conversation at a time. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.